Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord and vine to which we have been engrafted, we ask you to bless our sermon and work through it to fill our hearts with joy and confidence so that with all boldness we may proclaim the story of your salvation among all the peoples of the earth to the praise of your great name. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Psalm 67. For the choir director, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May his face shine on us, interlude, so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May the peoples praise you, all of them. May the countries be glad and sing for joy because you rule the peoples with fairness and you guide the countries of the earth, interlude. May the people praise you, O God. May the peoples praise you, all of them. The earth will yield its harvest. God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. This is the word of our Lord. Our gospel lesson for this week, which is in John chapter 15, is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. It is where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And so John chapter 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him is the one who bears much fruit, because without me, you can do nothing. Isn't it amazing? Without me, you can do nothing. God has to come and engraft us to himself. That's when the Holy Spirit gives birth to our new person. And then he grows the fruit through us. And so we cannot do something that glorifies God, for example, make a decision for Christ, Unless Christ makes a decision for us, if you will, sends his Holy Spirit into our heart and engrafts him onto himself. The truth of the matter is, once you're able to please God, it's because God has already saved you. You're connected to Christ. Today's psalm is about praising the Lord and praising to the Lord so that you do evangelism. And so our sermon theme for today is connected to Christ. You praise God. And our text begins, I'll be preaching on my own translation as usual. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us. May his face shine together with us. Sound familiar? This is pretty similar to the blessing God gave for Aaron, the high priest, and all the priests afterwards to speak to the people of Israel. He gave that in Numbers where it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Most Lutherans in their liturgy end every worship service, sending you back out into the world, having been forgiven and armed with the word of God with that blessing. The Lord has blessed you. As I already said at the beginning of the sermon, first of all, he engrafted you onto Christ so that you are saved. Christ purchased and won you. Christ uh, sent people out to share the word with you. The Holy Spirit entered your heart, giving birth to that new man that is engrafted onto Christ. All this according to God, the Father's plan. We often miss the blessings we have from the Lord. If you pull the average person aside out on a street and ask them what would be blessings you would want from God, they might would start, they would probably start in with, well, it'd be really nice if I suddenly had a million to a couple million dollars. It would be, we forget that hardships in our life may actually be tremendous blessings from God. If it weren't for an injury I received in a car accident as a teenager, my oldest child would be dead. 
If it weren't for a problem I had my first attempt at college, I would not be in this pulpit today. We often forget the person who struggles with money so that if God allowed them to have a lot of money, they would let money become their God and they would drive the Holy Spirit out of their heart, cutting themselves off from the vine of Christ, letting their faith die because money would be their God. Well, God keeps them by withholding money from them. They might not see the blessing. They may constantly be chasing after that sinfully. Go, why is it that I can't get ahead? It just keeps slipping from my grasp. Because that's a blessing from God. The greatest blessing God has given to you is that he saved you. You are engrafted onto Christ. And the blessings he gives us are not the blessings the world would think of. The greatest blessing he gives us is keeping us engrafted onto Christ. So that we receive the eternal heaven that he intended for us. And so, engrafted to Christ, we say those words, and it's interesting that the people here take that ironic blessing, may God bless you, that was in the plural for the people of Israel. And I don't want to use the word make it their own. What do I mean by that? Well, you can go into Christian bookstores and you'll find books that tell you how to reach out and grab a blessing from God, as if you got to grab God, the proverbial bull by the horns, and make him bless you. That's the wrong idea completely. See, you're already blessed. We don't use the word a lot, but what the people here are doing, they take that ironic blessing, may God bless you, and they appropriate it. They, in faith, apply it to themselves. God is gracious to us. God blesses us. God's face shines together with us. That is what happens when you are engrafted to Christ. One of the great blessings God gives you is, by your faith then, when you hear the words of Scripture, you say, that's meant for me. Let me apply, for example, John 3.16. You hear those words in faith, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And you appropriate that to yourself. You say, for God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son for me, so that I believe in him, so that I have everlasting life. That's a blessing from God. You do that. So connected to Christ, you praise God. God blesses you in many different ways. But the blessings are always meant to preserve you to eternal life. And so we say those words. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May his face shine together with us. Selah. Whoa, did you catch the difference there? In the ironic blessing, we say, may he make his face shine upon you. But the Hebrew language here says, may his faces shine together with us. Faces is plural, God is triune. God the Father working with, the, with all the things he does, ruling over time and history for you. God the Son having purchased and won you and being connected to him, he works through you so, so that you produce those good works. God the Holy Spirit bringing you to and keeping you in the faith through the word. He's shining on you, but we don't just say shine on you here. We say, may his faces shine together with us. And then there's that Hebrew word selah, our translation said interlude. It appears to me that that was an instruction given for the music guy, the the, the director, to play an interlude of music so people could chew on what's just been said. It normally comes at the end of the stanza. Here it comes in the middle, but there's something different. Not, may God, may the Lord bless you and keep you, may the Lord make his face shine upon you, but may his face shine together with us. The best way to describe what's going on here, for me, 
is if you've ever driven in a blizzard, for example, in South Dakota or in Wyoming, at night, when you can't tell where the road is, and you're wondering, am I on the road? Am I going to end up being one of those cars that they say 11 miles from any road we found them in the spring thaw? And then your headlights reflect off the delineator post. Whew, I'm still on the road. There's been plenty of times where I have driven in conditions like that where from delineator post to delineator post, I was finally able to make the next town or my, and, and get a hotel or make my destination. That is the life of a believer who is engrafted in Christ. First, God blesses you, and then because of his grace, because of his love for you, because of his forgiveness, you shine out with his love, you shine out with his forgiveness to others. And after telling us, basically, take a minute to think about that. Verse 2 continues explaining why he wants his face to shine together with us. So that your way is known, your salvation is known in all the earth, in all nations. God blesses you by saving you, connecting you to Christ, and then all of his love and compassion and grace and mercy shines through you. In fact, whenever you share the good news of salvation with someone, God is shining through you. When you show God's love, God is shining through you. When you show the confidence that God has blessed you, even when the rest of the world just say, doesn't it seem to be your curse? No, God has a plan. God is shining through you. And so we see connected to Christ, God, you praise God, God blesses you, and then you reflect his glory because of his blessings. Psalm continues, may peoples give thankful praise of you. May peoples give thankful praise of you, all of them. May nationalities dance for joy and shout with joy because you govern peoples justly and over and over again you lead nationalities on the earth. Selah. May people give thankful praise of you, O God. May peoples give thankful praise of you, all of them. We have reasons to thank the Lord, though, don't we? If I were to just walk up to you and tell you uh, the spaghetti monster loves you, praise him, you'd say, what? What is wrong with you? But God, because he blesses us, gives us plenty of reasons to praise him, including the fact that you're engrafted onto him. But it's very interesting if we focus there on verse 4. I translate that because you govern peoples justly. Now, the Hebrew word for govern is not what we immediately think of in America today. Our government is divided into three separate branches, executive, legislative, and judicial. Now, sadly, those are supposed to be separate branches to keep them in check and we have a problem, for example, when judicial begins legislating from the bench. But that was not a problem because it was supposed to be the king. He made the laws, he, he enforced the laws with his army, and you, he was the Supreme Court that you would apply to. And that worked really well if you had a king like King David who was a faithful believer and he ran and he operated in his kingly office to the glory of God. Until that time when King David committed adultery and then committed murder to cover it up. See, the problem is, I don't care what form of government you're talking about. I don't care what person you're talking about. Anybody put in charge of governing always has a sinful nature. But God doesn't. 
And so God's governance also includes his judging, his being the Supreme Court, his enacting laws. What if he's enacting laws to his benefit and not to his citizens' benefit? That happens all the time. It's called a dictator, right? And pretty soon he's draining the people. But it says, because you govern peoples justly. And the Hebrew word for justly is one for uprightness. During the Lent season, when I preached on Pilate's wife saying have nothing to do with that, sometimes it's translated innocent, other times righteous man, I'd held up a carpenter's square that was also a ruler that could be used to measure, that was also a straight edge, that also had 90 and 45 degree angles and also had a level on it. That is the Hebrew word used here. God knows what is just and what is upright. He is the standard. He doesn't do things for his own sinful benefit because God doesn't sin. Never going to stumble even like David, who otherwise did a pretty good job. God is upright. Now, when it comes to Judgment Day, those who rejected Christ or, or those who sadly, I know many people, friends, even family that are Christians, at least they claim to be, and they love the Lord so much that for years they cannot possibly come to the word and hear the voice of their shepherd that strengthens them. On judgment day, people who do not love the Lord will be told, you hated me, or you were lukewarm and indifferent towards me, and they will know they deserve the hell they're getting. That's why it's such a comfort for us that Christ has engrafted you onto himself and the Holy Spirit leads you back to the word to nourish you. And God is governing the world. Now that includes his judgment. So there are times God sends discipline to nations. You've been picking on my children. Nope. But he does it justly. And so one of the great blessings we give, we get from the Lord. And one of the reasons why we praise him is he is governing over all creation to bring you to and keep you in your faith. And every day he uses the events to keep you in that faith. And so that you end up shining like a reflector pole with his grace so that your neighbor and your family and friends are converted. That Christian who's been staying away from church that you turn around and love as the Lord and the good shepherd loves enough that you go and knock on their door and say, you really need to come and be fed. And so we see connected to Christ, you praise God. He gives you a reason to praise him. He's ruling over all creation for you. And that's such a tremendous blessing. He has saved you. He gives you the privilege of sharing salvation with others. So we see God blesses you. You reflect his glory. And in being blessed and being able to reflect his glory, he gives you reasons to praise him. Our text then says, earth gives its produce. Over and over again, God, our God, blesses us. Earth gives its produce. You know, I believe we want to be good stewards with the earth that God has clearly entrusted to us. So please do not misunderstand me. Some of the things that we do to the earth would be like going to the bathroom and leaving it in the middle of your living room and you're polluting and making yourself sick. But I've, my whole life, I've heard people as doomsdayers constantly, we're going to have, we're going to, because of pollution, create a nuclear, or not a nuclear, uh, because of pollution, we're going to create uh, another ice age. Uh, because of man's hatred towards each other, we're going to create a nuclear winter. Because uh, there's a hole in the ozone layer, we're all going to die. Because of global warming, we're all going to die. And I've constantly heard over and over again scientists saying the earth cannot produce any more food to feed the populations. And yet, we're told, earth gives its produce. Now, we want to be good stewards again, 
But God designed this to be the abode of man. And, and every time they give a number and say, when we get to this in population, everybody's going to start dar- starving. Soylent green kind of stuff if you watch that movie. And it never happens. In fact, there are people in countries today who don't have enough food. But you know, just like the famine that happened where people went down to Egypt, God had made sure that there was enough to provide for the people. Behind people starving in entire countries today, you will find corrupt governments that are taking advantage of their people. And what about in affluent countries like America today where individuals may go hungry? With all the shelters we have and soup kitchens, with the welfare programs we have, and with many Christians lovingly wanting to support it, if somebody's starving, you're probably going to find there's something sinful behind it. For example, a drug addiction, where, and, and those people need help. I want you to love them, but you'll probably find where being given cash, they spent it on drugs instead of getting a meal. God sees to it that the world produces. And we live in such a wonderful time where even if there's a drought in one region, we literally overnight can mail apples in on airplanes or or food. That could get to be a pretty expensive Big Mac, if you will, but we can get it to them. The world produces. That's because God is behind it and he set up the principles and he makes sure that you and I are provided for right up until the time he determines he's going to bring us to heaven. So our text continues over and over again, God blesses us, and over and over again, the ends of the earth fear him. Now, the English word fear is not the same as the Hebrew word yare, which means fear. Let me give you an example of what the English word fear means. God's supposed to be our heavenly father, right? So a kid has an abusive father, and and dad's throwing a temper tantrum, and he's drinking alcohol, and the kid is hiding underneath his bed at night because the real monsters for him are not under his bed. The real monsters is his own father. That's what the English word fear means. And that's the kind of fear, in a way, that the unbelievers and those who are indifferent to the Lord will feel on Judgment Day, but they'll know they're to blame, not like a child who is innocent, enduring abuse. The Bible often uses fatherly love for God, and I'm sad to say in my own lifetime right now, we've seen that most people don't understand what fatherly love is. Men impregnate women and they abandon the child and have nothing to do with it. Women go to science kitchen and brew up a baby with no intentions of ever having a father in the house. But when we look at what a true father was in history, even though they were sinful, you see a man who disciplines his children, but he disciplines them because he loves his children. He doesn't want them to end up headed straight to prison. In my, in growing up, I had classmates and friends that their parents did a lousy job of disciplining them. And we all knew they were going to end up in prison. It was that simple. So he disciplines his children to teach them and to improve them. And, and, and so they have a respect for that. But they also see daddy's warming, warm, loving hands holding them when they're hurt. They see daddy working night and day to put a roof over their heads Food on their stomachs, clothes on their back. When danger comes, daddy's there to protect. When the snowstorms of life comes, daddy's the one out there digging up the snowdrifts. So they hold their dad in a respect. We can translate that reverence towards God. What are we being told here over and over again? The ends of the earth are brought into faith. They look at God and they say, you're the one. I may do the planting and stewardship, but without your blessing, it isn't going to grow. And you make sure that we're taken care of. You make sure that we're saved. 
And so we have that reverent awe for God that comes from being connected to God because he's blessed us by connecting it. So we see God blesses you so that you hold him in reverence. Christ says, I am the vine, you are the branches. God had planned all that out. That's one of the great blessings that you and I have. This text is about actually spreading the word of God. And then the word, and then the word produces like the world produces when we plant seeds and, and, and harvest later. And so we see connected to Christ, you praise God. God blesses you. And then you reflect his glory with all the blessings he's given you and given you his love and compassion and everything. And when you see all those blessings, you see you give, he gives you reasons to praise him. And God blesses you so that you hold him in reverence. And while you're holding him in reverence, that's just one of the ways in which you reflect the headlights of the Lord, if you will. And others are brought to faith. They see the highway. They see the path of salvation and forgiveness. And they become engrafted to Christ. Amen. Now may the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will as he works in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.